We are in a series in the book of Luke. We've been in the book of Luke now for 11 weeks. Uh, we're continuing up until Easter, so we've got a few more to go. Uh, we're following along with Jesus as he teaches and demonstrates the kingdom of God in a particular way uh, towards outsiders. Uh, so he, he has been and is continuing to, uh, to welcome those who have been treated like they are on the outside of God's work, God's activity, God's presence, God's blessing. He's welcoming them in, welcoming them home, and at the same time, he's challenging those who always assume that they are on the inside uh, to think differently about the way that they go about their lives, about their assumptions about what God is like. Um, so this, this theme that we've been following is uh, God's centering love, how he takes the marginalized, the forgotten, the downtrodden, and he brings them home. He brings them in. So today we're going to come to uh, the most famous of parables uh, that falls under this category. Can you guess what it might be? The story of the prodigal son. That's what we call it. Or that's what it's been called. Um, so we're going to be in Luke 15. If you want to follow along in uh, your Bibles or an app. And we will also have all the verses of the story up on the screen behind me. We have a screen today. Yeah, we're, we're moving up. Um, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to the story that we're concentrating on, which happens in verse 11. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to, get to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf 
because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could go and celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Um, maybe you've heard this story before. <laughs> uh, many of us have several times. Uh, we, as I mentioned, refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, so if you've heard this story at all, you know it's about a father who welcomes home a lost son. But friends, Jesus' parables are never as simple as they seem. Yeah? Um, like so many of Jesus' teachings, there is more going on here. And the punchline, the, the thing that Jesus is really getting after in this parable, it typically gets buried under the brilliance of what the Father does for the Son, which is incredible, and it needs to be understood and appreciated. But the punchline that Jesus is after is worthy of our attention too. And to get it, we need to know who Jesus is talking to and why he's speaking to them. And the key happens, which is why I included it, in verse 1 and 2. It says that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but who? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They grumbled. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Today, the good news that we proclaim family is that in Christ, <clears throat> the old way of status and competition, of gatekeeping, of deciding who's in and who's out, is over. A new creation is here. God moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from Him reconciling us together with Him and each other, celebrating us in His love. Will you drop your judgments and join the party? Will you join the party that God is throwing for those who are returning to Him? Um, as I mentioned, this is a, a parable, and Jesus is telling this parable to connect people that He's talking to uh, to a truth that He's trying to... Uh, to share with them, for them to grapple with. But it reminds me of another parable or a parabolic story, if you will, um, called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've read this book or, or uh, um, heard about the story, but uh, a little more recent, but uh, still a ways back now. Um, so the, the, the story of the great divorce happens. This, uh, there's a narrator, and the narrator finds himself among people from a gray town, this sort of drab, dreary, uh, not very good place to live. And um, they're all waiting to board a bus. So the bus shows up, and they fly upward, and eventually it lands on a huge cliff near a beautiful river. There are mountains in the distance, green grass everywhere. It's amazing. 
And the narrator discovers that he is in the afterlife. And the gray town where he's just come from is hell. And the huge cliff that they've just arrived to are the outskirts of heaven. And these gray souls that have taken this bus are those who are from hell and they have traveled now to the outskirts of heaven. And as he realizes this, he sees another group of people walking towards us um, and, and the group of people that he's among, which he describes as ghosts. These, the, that, this is what he, he, he calls these people because they're becoming less and less tangible, less and less real. But these people that are walking toward him that are from heaven, they're bright and they have very solid bodies. They're, they seem more real, more tangible. And these bright people, they come and talk with the ghost to invite them into heaven. That's their mission. And their message is simple. You can come too. <laughs> like, come. We, we want you to be part of us. They're like sponsors or ambassadors sent to welcome uh, outsiders to the inside. That's the premise. And the narrator notices that there's one particularly large ghost that he names the big ghost. And the big ghost notices uh, that one of the bright people that's come to welcome them is a man who used to work for him, a man named Len. And while, um, while they were alive, this big ghost and Len, um, Len had murdered another co-worker of theirs named Jack. And uh, the big ghost was horrified by Len's actions on earth. And now he's scandalized by the fact that Len, of all people, is an ambassador of heaven. And he is stuck in this drab, dreary, gray town. He can't believe it. He is offended. So they start to have this conversation, and the big ghost says to him, I'll be damned. You look pretty pleased with yourself. What about poor Jack? And Len says to him, well, he's here too. If you decide to stay, you'll get to meet him. He sends his love, by the way. The big ghost says, but you murdered him. Well, of course I did, Len says. But it's all right now. He'd love to meet you. Will you come? But the big ghost isn't having any of it. He says back to Len, what I'd like to know is how you, a bloody murderer, got into this place, and I've been walking the streets down there living in a pigsty all these years. Personally, I think it ought to be the other way around. Look here, I've played it straight my whole life. I did the best I could. I never asked anybody for anything that wasn't mine by rights. I took my wages because I did my job. And Led says to him, well, it's not nearly as bad as that. Nobody gets what they deserve here. I didn't, and I'm so grateful for it. And you won't either. You'll get something far better. Come. Come. No. I want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. And Len says to him, go ahead and ask for bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought. But that's not the kind of world that the big ghost wants to live in. And so he refuses to enter. He says to him, tell them I'm not coming. I'd rather be damned than go along with you. If they're too fine to have me here without you, then I'll go home. 
And so the big ghost turns around. He goes back on the bus headed towards Greytown, refusing the offer to enter because he cannot imagine being in a place where people like Len get the same thing he does. Can you relate at all to the big ghost? Um, maybe it's not as like big and grandiose as that, but if you, I mean, have you ever had a, a situation at work where somebody's talents and, and successes are, are recognized and it just, you're like, oh man, if I were in the same position, I would have done so much better. Have you ever um, found yourself gatekeeping and, and thinking about the fact that you deserve something that other people don't deserve? Have you ever found yourself obsessed with questions like, who gets the credit for what's been done? Who's working the hardest? Who's the most deserving? And we've talked about this several times in this series, but it feels right to live in a world where people get what they deserve, right? Where if you work harder, you get more. If you're smarter, you have more opportunities. It just feels fair and just to us. Here's the problem, friends. It's not the kingdom of God. Just like the, the big ghost, you can have that world. You can live in it if you choose to. The problem is God doesn't live there either. That's not his address. Len says, everything here for the asking and nothing can be bought. That's the kingdom. Everybody gets grace because everybody needs it and God does not measure our worthiness. The question of the kingdom is not who's right and who's wrong, who's worthy and who's less. The question of the kingdom of God is who's here and who is not. And let's go invite the people who are not here to come and share what we're experiencing so they can understand and know the love and the welcome of God. Friends, the good news today is that in Christ, the old world of who's in and who's out, status, competition, gatekeeping, hierarchy is over. It's gone. It's done. The new creation is here where God moves with compassion towards all who are alienated from Him. So Jesus is telling this uh, grandiose parable, right, to Pharisees and teachers who are a lot like the big ghost. They're offended that People like that would be included in Jesus' work, Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry. All the while, they've done the right things. They've been responsible. They've obeyed the law. They should be first in line. And yet these tax collectors who were despised as traitors, operatives of the Roman government, they just get to say sorry and get a party? Are you kidding me? Jesus celebrates them as though they're the guests of honor. They have no honor. And we see Jesus, he's doing this again and again, sitting down with them, eating with them. This is a, a marker of solidarity, family, dignity. He's celebrating their return. The Pharisees are losing their marbles over it. They want to live in a world where people get what they earn. They want to live in a world where they can say justifiably, I did not get rich 
off the Roman occupation like these people did. This man welcomes sinners. How is that fair? So it's into that situation, again, that Jesus tells this parable. It's important. The context is everything. So he starts out by telling two mini parables about people who lost things and rejoice when they are found. And now in this third parable, someone rejoices over something that's lost, but there's a huge twist at the end. Yes, it's about a father who regains a son, but it's also about another son who has a different response to those very same events. Right? So the younger son, he goes and asks for his inheritance. This is the the part of the story that we're familiar with. And, And essentially, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I don't want anything to do with you. And so um, the father would have given him one-third of the estate because the older son gets double portion. Older son gets two-thirds, younger son gets one-third. That'll become important as we go get later in the story. And so he takes his inheritance and he gets as far away from his father as he can. And the result is predictable. He squanders his wealth. He go, goes from bad to worse. And a famine hits. And he has to hire himself out to local pig farmers, which would have been disgusting work for a Jew. Not only that, but famines were considered divine judgment oftentimes. And so the the story fits so far. Everything's lining up, right? This picture that we're getting so far is someone who used to have wealth and honor. He loses it by his own misplaced desires and dumb fault, and he's being judged for it. The Pharisees are on board. This is going according to plan. But then he finally comes to his senses and and says to himself, at least my father is going to give me something to eat. I'll go and work for him, right? And so he rehearses a confession that he hopes is going to be good enough to go back and convince his father. And so we, we see him go back and all the intentions and plans of this son. Um, he doesn't even get the words out of his mouth or all of his his strategies for working his way back into his father's house are buried beneath the father's love. Verse 20 says, While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Um, This father running is like, in, in the ancient Near East, he would have had to like hike up his robe and so, like, you can see his legs scurrying down the, down the road as he's going to meet his son. This would have been shameful for someone of his age and stature. And it would have been shameful not to scold his son, to, to not berate him for his choices and say, look, you, look where your desires got you. You got what you deserved. That's what everyone expects of the story. But they don't get what they expect. Instead, the father interrupts the son's speech. He embraces him, kisses him, bring out the robe, the sandals, the ring, all the signifiers that you're home, that you're a family member. And not only that, but bring the fatted calf that we're saving for a special occasion. You know the one that will feed an entire village? That one. Get it. Kill it. Roast it. We're partying. Serve it up. We're going to party like this town has never seen before. So verses 23 and 24 say, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Notice, notice, please notice that it's not the son's confession that prompts the father's love. It's just the son's return. All the son has to do is come home. He doesn't need anything more. Now, as beautiful as this scene is between father and son, the punchline, as we said, of this story comes here because there aren't just one, it's not just one son, it's two sons. There are two different responses to the son's return. Meanwhile, it says, the older son is where? Out in the field. So he asks the servants what's going on, and the servant tells him everything, and here's where the story shifts. The father runs to the son and throws a party in his honor, but the older son stays out in the field. He becomes angry, and he refuses to go in, refuses to enter the space where his father lives. And it's, it's as if Jesus is emphasizing these different emotional responses to the return of the prodigal. It's like he's saying to the Pharisees, you guys are connecting the dots, right? <laughs> You're getting it, right? The tax collectors and sinners, they're returning to the Lord. Yeah, they've sinned. They've squandered their wealth shamefully. Shamefully. But they're responding to the message of Jesus. This is worth celebrating. You guys are too busy grumbling about the party that I'm throwing for them. They're missing the picture that Jesus is painting for them. Jesus is telling them, what you're doing is when you refuse to celebrate and eat with those who are returning, you are excluding yourself from the Father. The Father is inside the party, and you're in the field. You are, you're becoming an outsider to the place of blessing and grace because you refuse to accept the outsider home. This is the core message. If you hear nothing else today, friends, hear this. That when you sit in condemnation of who God forgives and allows on the inside, all you are doing is placing yourself on the outside. When you condemn those who God forgives and welcomes home, all you are doing is placing yourself on the outside. Put another way, to refuse those who have received God's grace is to, res- is to refuse God's grace for yourself. The good news that we proclaim today, friends, is in Christ, the old world of gatekeeping, who's in and who's out, is over because the new creation is here. God moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from him, reconciling us to himself and each other, celebrating us in his love. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Hallelujah! Because that's us too. So will you drop your judgments and join the party? See, uh, the irony of the story is that the older son, he now wants nothing to do with the father, just like his brother. He refuses to enter in. Here, I think, is, is where we see the father's heart, not just towards the younger son who's come home, but the older son who refuses. Because the, the father does exactly for him what he did for his brother. He goes out to him. He leaves the party. 
Which again would have been scandalous to leave your guests and go and plead with a son who's refusing to do your will. But the son complains, verse 29, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Notice the distance from the father. But when this son of yours, notice the distance from his brother, who squandered your property with prostitutes, which is a detail that has never come up in the story. Maybe he's manufactured it. Maybe he's right on. But he's, he's emphasizing the failure of his brother. When he comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. In other words, you, you throw him the biggest party this town has ever seen. I, I don't want to be at a party where people like that are celebrated. I don't want to be in a family where my hard work isn't recognized and honored for what it is. But again, the father has a a completely different perspective on, on his son. He says, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours. Notice the reconnecting. He belongs to you, and you belong to him. This brother of yours, who you no longer see as a brother, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Will you receive him back? See, the the, the irony is that the older brother has always lived his life as a hired servant, the way that the younger son had planned to when he returned home. And the older son thinks that he's more deserving of the blessing than the younger son, and so he excludes himself from the presence and the blessing of the father. Because here's the thing about a party, and this is the thing about the inheritance. Remember? How much does the older son get? Two-thirds. How much did the younger son get? One-third. All right, do the math with me. The younger son gets welcomed home, treated as a son, which means he's back in the inheritance. What does the older brother need to do? He needs to say to his brother, you are now my equal. You are now my equal. The track record that I have built up over all these years of of serving and and doing right and doing good to, to gain the father's approval and acceptance and inheritance so that I could go and spend it in a life away from the father, I have to give all of that up to receive you back. See, this is the thing about a party. I love parties because everyone gets an equal share and there's usually enough for everybody. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. No one in the kingdom of God can say to anybody else in the kingdom of God, I deserve a double portion. Nobody. But he refuses to enter into that kind of relationship of mutuality and the blessing that comes with it because he wants to be recognized as worthy of more. He wants there to be a hierarchy, a meritocracy, as we called it a few weeks ago. The problem is, I think, that he wants a father that does not exist. 
Because with this father, it's never about who's worked the hardest, who's right, or who's wrong. It's about who's here and who isn't. And if someone is missing, then we go out to them and plead for them to come home. Because that's what we see our father doing. He moves towards the older son with the same compassion as the younger son because both have assumed the life of a slave. Both sons are in need of grace. Both have sinned. Both are in the same boat. They need to become family members again. They need to change their minds to repent of their false assumptions about what their father is like. And that's why it's such good news that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Because we realize that's us. That's me. And we all get to come to the party. The invitation is open. Return and enjoy. If the tax collectors and sinners are doing it, then we can too. And I, I, just, I need to mention this too. It's important to hear it. That Jesus is not interested in throwing this back in the Pharisees' faces. He's not one-upping them. It's not like he's, he's not doing a gotcha moment. Ha, you're wrong. In your face. <laughs> you know? That's not the heart of Jesus because Jesus is adopting the heart of the Father from the story. It's, it's as if he's saying to them too, like, you, you can come into the party too. Drop your judgments and come. You need this as much as they do. Come to the table and celebrate God's love. Come home. I love the way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians um, 5. He says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So now from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. We don't look at anybody the same way again. We don't look at anybody the same way. We don't look at anyone as better or worse. We don't measure anymore because in Christ, the new creation is here. The old is gone. God is reconciling to the world, the world to himself and us to each other. And so, God, so he moves with compassion toward all who are alienated from him. Both, both the good boys and girls who stayed at the house and the irreligious bad boys and girls who left home. We're all alienated, and God reconnects and reconciles with all of us, celebrating us in his love. This man, Jesus, he welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Will we too? Will we too? As we think about responding, um, we're, we're meant to hear this parable, I think, as the older brother. Now, uh, if you're, you know... If you've never heard this story before and you're like, wow, I'm just overcome with the compassion of a father like that. I've never seen God that way. Then feel free to live as the younger son who gets welcomed home. Like, that's great. But Jesus is writing this to people who need, in a sense, to place themselves in the shoes of the older brother. Jesus ends the story with a cliffhanger. We don't get a resolution. The parable ends and the older brother is standing outside the party with the father and you're wondering, will he come in? 
or will he go, or will he go back to the field? It's one or the other. And so I think if we're, if we're understanding this from the perspective of the older brother, then we should ask ourselves, as older brothers, as it were, who is our younger brother? Who is the younger brother to us? Who seems uh, like, you know, a little less deserving? If we're being honest. Who do we find uh, difficult to celebrate and rejoice when blessing happens in their life? Who is it difficult to imagine celebrating alongside? Or to call a brother or sister? Now, it, it may be a specific person that kind of comes to mind for us. It might be a kind of people, a group of people that we just always assumed were on the outside looking in. Who would you be outraged to find in the kingdom of God? If you came across them in heaven, who would you, without thinking about it, go, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> I can't believe it. You? <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm not going to run through a list of possible candidates for this. <laughs> I thought about it, but I'm going to spare you, okay? I think the important thing for us, if we're, if we're putting our finger on it, maybe someone's coming to mind for you. Maybe you need more time. Um, I think the important thing is that the, the father's response to that younger son, whoever it may be, it prompts us to ask the question of ourselves: why? Why might I be angry? Why might I be grumbling that this other person could, in fact, return to the Father and find grace? What is that to me? Why do, I, why do I get uncomfortable when I think about this person or that group of people coming home and just rejoicing and celebrating with a, with a Father of grace? Because today we are invited by this Father who loves us. Everything I have is yours, he says. Who loves us and who compels us to drop our judgments and reconcile with our younger brother. To see that they belong to us and we belong to them. This brother of yours, God would say to us. This brother of yours. This sister of yours. These family members of yours. Enter the party with them and receive them with the same grace that God has received you. See, I, I'm convinced that if we're seeing this rightly, then it will result in us um, being compelled with the same love that compelled Jesus, that compelled Paul, to go out into the world as, with the aroma of Jesus' feast for all to see and hear and smell and taste. To, to realize that the people that we live around, many of them have known nothing but pig slop and been judged for it. And we, of all people, are to hike up our skirts and go out to them 
as shameful as it may be to those who are on the inside to watch us do it, to go and tell them, you are welcome home. You get to come too. Does this sound like a good thing? I think it does. Let's pray. And um, we'll pray um, specifically for God to um, maybe show us an area of our hearts where we um, may be sitting in judgment and to ask for him to help us enter into the party. Okay? And then we'll, we'll respond. Father, we thank you that you are a father of all mercy who reconciles us to yourself and to each other. God, forgive us when we've said about others um, this, this son of yours. When we've gone to disconnection, disassociation with people who are made in your image. Lord, help us to drop our judgments and to move with compassion towards those that are lost. Help us, God, to enter the party of your love and enjoy your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.